When I was about nine years old, I remember eating peach yogurt. It had this soft, sweet, round taste that made any watery peach I had wane in comparison. Excited, I told my mother about my eye-opening realization. Wow, this is what peaches are supposed to taste like. It's worrisome that a peach yogurt tasted more real to me than the actual fruit. And interestingly, I still experience the same thing with banana flavor. Banana flavoring tends to be deeper, rounder, and more caramel-like than what we find today in the grocery store. Maybe because it replicates not the bananas we have today, but the bananas we used to have before nature got in the way. In Germany, we would cross our arms and say, die Bananen sind auch nicht mehr das, was sie einmal waren. The bananas are also not what they used to be. And that's actually true. The copy-paste banana you find at a local market, a supermercado in the south, or a big box retailer in the north are not what we used to eat. And again, our global monoculture supply of banana is seriously threatened. Researchers are scrambling to find the next generation banana to avoid a collapse in our sweet yellow fruit supply. Will they succeed? Let's peel back the history. You're listening to Red to Green, the audiobook style podcast on food tech and sustainability. Moving the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. The banana is the original fast food, smooth, bright, seedless, conveniently wrapped and portable. Bananas are the fourth most valuable crop behind rice, wheat and milk. It's an essential snack break item and is one of the world's most consumed fruits. And chances are, if you were born after the 1950s and live somewhere where bananas don't grow regionally, you have been eating the same banana your whole life, called the Cavendish. The banana industry is vast, making up a $44 billion industry complex with supply chains spanning continents and affecting millions of livelihoods through the income and nutrition from bananas. But the Cavendish wasn't always the banana. Before 1960, the main banana was called the Grosse Michel. Why can't we eat the Grosse Michel anymore today? Because it has become virtually extinct due to Panama disease, affecting it over many decades, driving it to its eventual near extinction. The fungi infection ravaged banana plants across the globe, from Asia to Africa, exterminating plant after plant. The fact that the fungi spread worldwide at a relatively rapid pace highlights a severe problem with our current agricultural practices. Let's dive into the fate of the Grosse Michel and what this can teach us about the interconnectedness of human and environmental systems. The Grosse Michel was initially a huge hit in the early 20th century in Western countries due to its taste and especially its scalability. Even back then, you know, scalability was all everybody cared about. Its thick skin allowed it to travel long distances without becoming overripe or damaged, allowing it to become the export good for many Latin American countries at the time. Be aware that the history of the banana is anything but fair. Colonialization, slavery, political conflict and oppression are just some of the issues of the United Fruit Company, now Chiquita. 
All was going well for the Gros Michel, which became an expert hit on the economic side. But it was not long before nature struck back. Like many agricultural systems today, the Gros Michel was one species planted across huge land areas, also called a monoculture, because only one plant is cultivated. This has many benefits, such as standardized practices, which increase efficiency, productivity and scalability. But planting one genetically identical crop over large areas of land also leads to a high vulnerability of the crop itself. When a pest or disease figured out how to infect one of the banana plants, it had all the information it needed to infest them all. As the genetic material means the other plants have no defense left to fight against the disease. This allowed the Panama disease to spread like wildfire across plantations, eating up the plants from the inside, leading to rotten cores and wiltering banana leaves. In many plantations, all trees were killed. What made it fatal was its resistance to chemical treatments, such as pesticides. Plantation owners tried to fight the disease by clearing and planting on new land. But because the fungus can spread through contaminated soil on shoes or wheels and remains in the ground for decades, it was only a matter of time until new plants also started dying. A solution needed to be found, and it presented itself in the Cavendish, a variety that was discovered to be almost entirely resistant to Panama disease. It quickly replaced the Grand Michel on plantations as the expert banana and has become the banana we know and eat regularly today. Today, 99% of exported bananas and 47% of global banana production is the Cavendish variety. If you put the two side by side, you would notice some differences. If you imagine breaking a banana into pieces, what would you see? Our current variety, the Cavendish, is more dry and flaky. The Grand Michel is more dense, moist and creamy, with a deeper flavor profile. Last year I spent three months in Mexico and got to eat a bunch of bananas, including purple and tiny ones, and I remember sitting in awe, feeling like a kid eating banana yogurt and thinking, oh, this is how bananas are supposed to taste. But now our current flaky banana is threatened as history repeats itself. The Panama disease is back and it's upgraded. The new strain is called Tropical Race 4 and is found on Cavendish plantations across Asia, Australia, the Middle East and Africa. I find the naming funny. Tropical Race 4 sounds more like a video game to me than a disease that may rot out our global supply of bananas, but, but whatever, like, interesting name choice. The fruity stick we love to take as a snack with us and put in our porridge and smoothies is seriously threatened. Daniel Beber, leading researcher of the Banana X Research Group at the University of Exeter, researches solutions for the spread of the Panama disease and put it like this. The story of the banana is really the story of modern agriculture, exemplified in a single fruit. It has all the ingredients of equitability and sustainability issues, disease pressure and climate change impact all in one. It's a very good lesson for us. The story of the banana is a great example of the importance of understanding coupled human environment systems. That's an environmental science concept that in essence says that humans impact the environment and the climate impacts humans. It's essential to understand them both as systems, including many complex interacting parts that form a whole working system. 
Diversity allows for more resilient, long-standing and sustainable methods, which are less prone to completely collapse during times of crisis, such as during environmental disaster or disease spread. Humans planted monoculture banana plantations, which reduce the biodiversity of natural systems, decreasing their resilience. To take an example from another field, as with transportation, it's more effective to have several different options. When the train is not working or is late, as happens to be the case, you still can go by plane or by car or any other form of transit, you're not completely stuck. Around 70% of bananas consumed locally are currently vulnerable to tropical race 4. Here's where the problem lies. Not only is the re-emergence of the Panama disease affecting the supply chain of the Cavendish, but also the livelihoods of banana farmers and global South citizens. Bananas are an essential source of basic nourishment for at least 400 million people. Those that are affected by the disease lose a vital source of nutrition as well as their livelihoods. There are several remedies to this issue, a quarantine, a world that we are all too familiar with, effectively controls the spread and isolates infected areas. There's also the possibility of finding a resistant variety, which will become the next Cavendish. While Western countries mostly know the Cavendish as the banana, over a thousand varieties of banana species are grown in over 150 countries. If you think back to our potato episode, the start of our history season, you may remember that there are 4,000 types of potatoes in all colors, red, purple, inky, black, but we don't get to taste most of them, limiting the nutrition we can get. Eating diverse foods supports a diverse ecosystem. It was six years ago, but I still remember it. I was in the office peeling a banana as a snack and a keto guy, somebody into the ketogenic diet, looked at my banana in disgust. I asked him, what's up? And he said, oh, it's just a stick of sugar. It stopped my approaching bite into the banana dead in its tracks. Uh, I looked at the yellow fruit like a friend who just got insulted, trying to figure out how my hurt friend and I should react. Shockingly, I have to admit he had a point. First of all, did you know that there's something you could call an ideal time to eat a banana? When it is green, it is high in fiber. It has the most vitamins when it is yellow, and as it browns, it loses nutrients and becomes high in simple sugars. So the same banana could be more or less healthy depending on when you eat it. Bananas are also relatively low in antioxidants. My favorite rule of thumb for antioxidant content comes from Dr. Michael Greger, founder of the nonprofit nutritionfacts.org. The more intense and dark the color, the more antioxidants. A banana has fewer antioxidants than a mango. A mango has less than a strawberry. A strawberry has less than a blueberry. The same holds true for vegetables. Zucchinis are green but white on the inside, so the exact grams of peas will likely deliver more antioxidants. Orange sweet potatoes give you more than light-colored ones, and so on and so forth. I'm sure the purple bananas that were slightly red inside were not just tastier, but also more nutritious than the monocrop cultures we eat all around the world. But nutrition content is rarely at the top of the list when it comes down to which products get on our shelves. Is it time for a new, better banana? Thank you for listening. As always, I love to connect with listeners. So just drop me a line on LinkedIn and let's connect. My name is Marina Schmidt. Marina, like the ocean, like the marine, 
and Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T. You can also find me by just typing in Retta Green on LinkedIn and finding me associated with it. If you enjoy our work, it would be amazing if you could support us by leaving a review, either on iTunes or recently Spotify also added a feature where you can rate a podcast and give us five stars. As always, there's a team behind this making it possible. Thank you so much to Francisca Erbe for researching, Lara Toyman for editing, as well as Celeste Gupta for audio editing. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.